Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We are your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I am Julia. <laughs> hey, Julia. Hi, Lauren. That came out, I was thinking about my grocery list. Oh. That's how rote that has become. And not in a bad way. Just in a, you know what? This is where we're at now. This is... <laughs> sometimes we still forget. Yeah, sometimes. Saying, oh, yeah, but definitely. hey, who doesn't? Who doesn't? How was your holidays? Uh, they were great. Hung out with the tags. We had a nice time. Dad got a uh, hot pizza oven, a personal pizza oven that he was so excited about. Just a personal pizza oven? Just a personal, personal like, pan pizza oven? A personal pan Is pizza oven. Is it Easy oven. Bake Oven? No, but it looks a lot like one. It's called an uni, and this is not an ad. We just love the product. Um, it gets to like 900 degrees, and he can make his own pizzas as much as he wants. How long does it take to cook one? Like like 45 seconds. Wow. Like an incredible amount of time. It's incredible. So... That's all Pretty we're cool. going to be eating at the tags now from here on out. Great. Could be worse. It could be worse. Hey, could have got a yogurt maker. Ugh. Ugh. Do you know you can make yogurt with like a hot pad? Yeah. Just around a like bowl. That idea. Yeah. No, it's not good. Anyway. But yeah, hot pizza. Uh, yeah, it was great. We just hung out and drank and ate and talked and yeah, it was fun. How was your holiday? Oh, good stuff. Good. We went to Pittsburgh. Great. It was fun. Got to see the dogs. Oh, love the dogs. I guess the my puppy. brother. Yeah, well, yeah. But my puppy, human brother and my puppy brothers. The yeah. puppy brothers are better. Yeah. Very handsome. They're so handsome. They're so bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're, they still got, they're still young. They got some, some kinks yeah, to work they're out. Like, they're like teen, pu- teen dogs Teen now. dogs. Yeah, cool teen dogs. They skateboard and they, you know, buy Lucy's. And, yeah, they stay out past curfew. Yeah, stay out past curfew. Exactly. Play their music really loud. <laughs> Their dog music. It's all just like the holiday bark, like the <laughs> the dog Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they listen to. Like a really loud volume. <laughs> so uh, this, this is it, everybody. You made it. You made it through made this it month. made it to the end of December. I've had a couple of people tell me that they couldn't listen to this, <laughs> to this anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, just a couple. Most people are like, I love this. This is great. But. A couple of people that are like, I got to be honest with you. I had to shut off the Stalin one. <laughs> I was like, well, then you are not ready for well, Pol Pot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if we sign them like asterisks for like how, like which level they were yeah, yeah. of dictator. Yeah. So I don't blame you if you couldn't get through it. And, you know, January is a new month. But uh, yeah. right now we're going to close out our very successful and very popular Dictator December. <laughs> yeah, just one one last terrible person to talk about this month. Mm-hmm. All right, this episode is called The Butcher of the Balkans. Oh my God. Slobodan Milosevic. I'm the bad guy. Duh. So before we get into it, here's some geographic background. Um, So after World War II, the Balkan states of Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, Croatia, Slovenia, and Macedonia all became part of the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. Okay. So all of those states made up Yugoslavia. Oh, I didn't realize that Montenegro was in there too. Yes. Yes. So in addition, there were two autonomous provinces that were established within Serbia. They were Vojvodina and Kosovo. So we end up talking about those as well. Okay. All right. Slobodan Milosevic. Yeah, boy. All right. He was born August 29th, 1941 in Pozarevic, 
Yugoslavia to Montenegrin parents. Um, he apparently was always well dressed. He was very conservative as a child, and mm. he was said to prefer the company of older children. Uh-oh. He joined the Communist Party of Yugoslavia when he was 18 years old. Um, he graduated from the University of Belgrade with a law degree in 1964 and began a career in business administration, eventually becoming head of the state-owned gas company and president of a major Belgrade bank. Um, so I'm only four sentences into Slobodan Milosevic. By the way, both of his parents okay. separately committed suicide. What? His father in 1962 and his mother in 1972. Ten years apart? Yep. Oh. Yep. So Ugh. this is not a great, not a great start. No, absolutely to not. His, to his family life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Slobodan married his teenage sweetheart, um, Mirjana Markovic, a staunch communist who also became his political advisor. Oh. Uh, they had two children together, Marco and Maria. Milosevic entered politics full-time in 1984 as a protege of Ivan Stambolic, the head of the League of Communists of Serbia. Milosevic took over as head of the local Communist Party organization in Belgrade that same year. So Milosevic introduced a new populist political style to Serbia, appealing directly to the Serbian people over the heads of the League of Communist officials and calling for an anti-bureaucratic revolution. Okay. He used his rising popularity to oust his former mentor, Stambolic, as leader of the Socialist Party of Serbia in December 1987. As Serbia's new party leader, Milosevic demanded that the federal government restore full control to Serbia over the autonomous provinces of Vojvodina and Kosovo. While the federal government was trying to introduce free market reforms in order to relieve the faltering Yugoslav economy, Milosevic emerged as a leading defender of the socialist tradition of state economic intervention. And also, as early as the mid-1980s, Milosevic was keenly aware of the value of propaganda, and he quickly mm. took control of Belgrade television and of the respected old Belgrade newspaper, Politica. Um, television was subsequently central to his rule. So oh be on the lookout. Following the death of longtime Yugoslav leader and communist uh, Joseph Broz Tito in 1980, growing nationalism among the different Yugoslav republics threatened to split their union apart. So this greatly intensified after the mid-1980s with the rise of Milosevic. In 1988, he replaced the party leadership in Vojvodina and Kosovo provinces with his own supporters. So mm -hmm. these were supposed to be autonomous regions within Serbia, and he kind of was like, nope. I'm going to put my own guys nope, in there. You're, you're ours now. And in 1989, the Serbian Assembly ousted Stambolic from the Republic, replacing him with Milosevic, who then became the president of Serbia. Um, he gave a famous speech after taking the presidency, telling Serbs in Kosovo to prepare for war and, oh. quote, from now on, no one has the right to beat you. Uh, okay. So a quick language usage note. Uh, when used as an adjective, Serb refers to people. Okay. Serbian refers to the language and attributes of the state. So Serbs live in many parts of the former Yugoslavia. They lived in Serbia, Montenegro, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, and Macedonia. And Serb nationalists regarded Milosevic as the leader of all Serbs the moment he became president of Serbia. Okay. So that's important to remember here. Okay. Milosevic was the first of the Eastern European leaders to foresee what was coming and make the jump from communism to nationalism in order to stay in power. Mm. He used the media to spread propaganda with the emphasis on dehumanizing the enemy by whom Serbia was surrounded. He called the Croats genocidal fascists. The Muslims of Bosnia were Islamic fundamentalists. The Albanians of Kosovo were rapists and terrorists. 
Um, he said huh. the Slovenes were secessionists, German worshiping lackeys, and that the Germans and Austrians were bent on destroying Yugoslavia to erect a Fourth Reich. Hmm. Then there were the American imperialists and Tur- Turkish nostalgics for the Ottoman days and Iranians ambitious for Islamic terrorism in the Balkans. So he's basically like everybody around us is trying they're to get evil. us. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to infiltrate our country and they're trying to, you know, they're like take our children yeah. and rape our women and yes. everyone, dilute the perfect. Everyone is after us. Yeah. Yeah. So Milosevic, uh, he was res- resisted political and economic reform and his actions created tensions between Serbians and Bosnia and yeah. Croatia and their Croatian, Bosniak and Albanian neighbors. By 1990, people were warning that Milosevic was leading all of Yugoslavia into disaster. Warren Zimmerman, the U.S. ambassador to Belgrade at the time, said, quote, Milosevic can utter the most egregious falsehoods with the appearance of the utmost sincerity. He's a Machiavellian character for whom truth has no inherent value of its own. It's there to be manipulated. He also added, like most evil men, he doesn't seem evil. He could be charming. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. In 1991, Slovenia, Croatia, and Macedonia declared their independence from Yugoslavia. And during the war in Croatia that followed, the Serb-dominated Yugoslav army supported Serbian separatists there in brutal clashes with Croatian forces. In Bosnia, Muslims represented the largest single population group by 1971, and they were referred to as Bosniaks. So so Bosnia was basically like the most populous, like... The country in Europe with the highest Muslim population. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And as tensions built inside and outside the country, Bosnian Serb leader Radovan Karadzic and his Serbian Democratic Party withdrew from government and set up their own Serbian National Assembly. And on March 3rd, 1992, after a referendum vote, Bosnia declared its independence from Yugoslavia. Oh, okay. So now it's time to talk about one of the most uplifting topics of all, and that's sarcasm. Um <laughs> Time to talk about the Bosnian genocide. Oh, no. Yeah. So Bosnian Serbs wanted to be a part of the dominant Serbian state in the Balkans, the greater Serbia that Serbian separatists had long envisioned. In early May 1992, two days after the United States and the European community recognized Bosnia's independence, Bosnian Serb forces, with the backing of Milosevic and the Serb-dominated Yugoslav army, launched their offensive with a bombardment of Bosnia's capital, Sarajevo. They attacked Bosniak-dominated towns in eastern Bosnia, including Zvornik, Foka, and Vizgrad. Uh, forcibly expelling Bosniak civilians from the region in a brutal process later identified as ethnic cleansing. So um, technically here, ethnic cleansing differs from genocide in that its primary goal is the expulsion of a group of people from a geographical area and not the actual physical destruction of that group, even though the same methods, including murder, rape, torture, and forcible displacement might be used. Yeah. Ethnic cleansing. So though Bosnian government forces tried to defend the territory, sometimes with the help of the Croatian army, Bosnian Serb forces were in control of nearly three quarters of the country by the end of 1993, and Karadzic's party had set up their own Republika Srpska in the east. Most of the Bosnian Croats had left the country, while a significant Bosniak population remained only in smaller towns. Uh, by the way, what remained of Yugoslavia was pretty much flat broke. Uh, for weeks, mm. millions of state employees weren't paid, and the regime had spent foreign currency deposits from private savings bank accounts to finance the war. Inflation was ramping up. Thousands of marchers protested in Belgrade, shouting, Slobo, you are Sodom. 
And there was also a morbid joke making the rounds that Milosevic would do the greatest service to his country by following his family's tradition. Oh, committing suicide. No. So this this definitely happened in our lifetime. Oh, this is 1993 right now. Like we were in elementary school. And I do remember like I remember Sarajevo being Uh like a basically like a one-to-one as like some like a terrible war Mm -hmm. a lot a genocide like that kind of thing we i vaguely remember like there were some like elementary school age boys that came over to like live with a family in our town Mm -hmm. for a couple years there were some refugees that came over especially on the east coast Mm -hmm. but i i mean obviously like why would we know the details of this but yeah i never learned how Mm -hmm. devastating this was to a whole people To a whole people. And we're not done yet. Oh, my God. It's the 1990s. So several peace proposals between a Croatian Bosniak Federation and Bosnian Serbs failed when the Serbs refused to give up any territory. Mm. But the United Nations refused to intervene in the conflict in Bosnia. But a campaign spearheaded by its High Commissioner for Refugees provided humanitarian aid to its many displaced, malnourished, and injured victims. By the summer of 1995, three towns in eastern Bosnia, Srebrenica, Zepa and Gradza remained under control of the Bosnian government. The UN had declared these enclaves safe havens in 1993 to be disarmed and protected by international peacekeeping forces. On July 11, 1995, however, Bosnian Serb forces advanced on Srebrenica, overwhelming the battalion of Dutch peacekeeping forces stationed there. Serbian forces subsequently separated the Bosniak civilians there at Srebrenica, putting the women and girls on buses and sending them to the Bosnian-held territory. Some of the women were sexually assaulted, while the men and boys who remained behind were killed immediately or bused to mass killing sites. Estimates of Bosniaks killed by Serb forces at Srebrenica range from around 7,000 to more than 8,000 people. Oh my God. After Bosnian Serb forces captured Zepa that same month and exploded a bomb in a crowded Sarajevo market, the international community began to actually respond more forcefully to the ongoing conflict and its ever-growing civilian death toll. Jeez, too little too late. Mm Mm-hmm. In August 1995, after the Serbs refused to comply with a UN ultimatum, NATO joined efforts with Bosnian and Croatian forces for three weeks of bombing Bosnian Serb positions and a ground offensive. With Serbia's economy crippled by UN trade sanctions and its military forces under assault in Bosnia after three years of warfare, Milosevic agreed to enter negotiations that October. The General Framework Agreement for Peace in Bosnia and Herzegovina, also known as the Dayton Agreement or the Dayton Accords, is the peace agreement reached at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base near Dayton, Ohio what? on November 1st, 1995, and then formally signed in Paris on December 14th, 1995. So why Dayton, Ohio? Yeah, why, why Dayton? Why is the Bosnian War <laughs> Treaty being signed in Dayton, Ohio? In America's shirt pocket, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> So this secure site was chosen in order to remove all the parties from their comfort zones, without which they would have little incentive to negotiate. Also to reduce their ability to negotiate through the media and to securely house more than 800 staff in attendance. Oh, okay. So curbing the participants' ability to negotiate via the media was a particularly important consideration here because Milosevic, and I don't get too much into it here, but he did so much controlling of the narrative through the media. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So uh, these accords put an end to the three and a half year long Bosnian war and resulted in the creation of a federalized Bosnia divided between a Croat Bosniak Federation and a Serb Republic. Um, also, by the way, in February 2008, the head of the presidency of Bosnia-Herzegovina um, said that the original Dayton agreement was lost from the president's archives. Uh, so 2008, they're like, where is <laughs> we lost it? It's gone. <laughs> But they found it in 2017 at someone's private residence in Pale. What? Resist, uh, and it resulted in the arrest of this person who was trying to sell it for 50,000 euros. So this person had very clearly like <laughs> stolen it yeah. from the president's archives in uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina and was then trying to sell it 10 years later. Well, that's the Probably thing Probably on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing that I don't understand about like art heists. Like as I know you love a heist, but love like- at the Isabella Stewart Gardner, they stole two of like a dozen Vermeers. Mm-hmm. They're the most f- famous pieces of artwork in like what the Western canon. You're not selling that. You can't sell it. Right. Like every single person on the earth who would have enough money to buy that knows not to buy it yeah. because that's hot property and they would get snapped up immediately, which is why they think it's just like rolled up in someone's attic somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you have a huge political document here that an entire country and like most of the world. It's actually at this point just symbolic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's not like they're going to be like, ha ha ha. Now the whole peace the process is ours. mine. Yeah. <laughs> so though the international community did little to prevent the systematic atrocities committed against Bosniaks and Croats in Bosnia while they were occurring, it did actively seek justice against those who committed them. In May 1993, the UN Security Council had created the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the ICTY, at The Hague in the Netherlands. This was the first international tribunal since the Nuremberg trials in 1945-46, and this was the first to prosecute genocide, among other war crimes. So back to Milosevic. Yeah. Who had been like mm, being the man behind the curtain on yeah, all of this. Yeah, basically. You notice that I didn't say his name for a lot of that yeah. part. Okay. Interesting. So um, he was Serbian president. And since he was ineligible to run for a third term as Serbian president, Milosevic had himself made the president of Yugoslavia in 1997. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So which was like falling apart anyway. Like it's barely a country at this point. Because yeah. like four, at least four of the countries that the four of the Federated States that kind of like made it made it up had yeah. already declared independence. Yeah. So he's president of Yugoslavia. Uh, in Kosovo, the formerly autonomous province of Serbia, uh, liberation forces clashed with Serbs and the Yugoslav army was sent in. Amidst reports that Milosevic had launched an ethnic cleansing campaign against Kosovo's ethnic Albanians, NATO forces launched airstrikes against Yugoslavia in 1999. So there was a formal indictment by the ICTY against Milosevic in May 1999. There were three distinct acts listed, which in total represented 66 counts. Milosevic was the first European head of state to be prosecuted for genocide and war crimes. Per this indictment, Milosevic participated in a joint criminal enterprise between at least August 1991 and June 1992, the purpose of which was the forcible removal of the majority of Croat and other non-Serb populations from approximately one-third of the territory of Croatia, an area he planned to become part of a new Serb-dominated state. It's alleged that during that period, Serb forces attacked and took controls of towns, villages, and settlements in the territories listed. After the takeover, the Serb forces, in cooperation with local Serb authorities, established a regime of persecutions designed to drive the Croat and other non-Serb civilian populations from these territories. 
This regime included the extermination or murder of hundreds of Croats and other non-Serb civilians, including women and elderly persons, the deportation or forcible transfer of at least 170,000 Croat and other non-Serb civilians, and the confinement or imprisonment under inhumane conditions of thousands of Croat and other non-Serb civilians. As a result, basically the whole of the Croat and other non-Serb civilian populations were forcibly removed, deported, or killed in these regions. Public and private property in all the relevant areas were intentionally destroyed and plundered, including including homes, religious, historical, and cultural buildings. My God. Between 1987 and the end of 2000, Milosevic played an important political role in Serbia and the Socialist Republic of Yugoslavia. He exerted effective control over the elements of the Yugoslav armies, which participated in the planning, separation, facilitation, and execution of the forcible removal of the majority of non-Serbs, principally Bosnian Muslims and Bosnian Croats, from large areas of Bosnia and Herzegovina. He provided financial, logistical, and political support to the Bosnian Serb army, controlled, manipulated, and otherwise utilized Serbian state-run media to spread exaggerated and false messages of ethnically-based attacks by Bosnian Muslims and Croats against Serbs, intended to create an atmosphere of fear Mm. and hatred Mm. among Serbs living in Serbia. Huh. Between January 1st, 1999 and June 20th, 1999, the military forces of Yugoslavia and the Serbian police forces acting at the direction with the encouragement or with the support of Milosevic executed a campaign of terror and violence directed at Kosovo Albanian civilians. Approximately 800,000 Kosovo Albanian civilians were expelled from the province by their forced removal and subsequent looting and destruction of their homes. Surviving residents were sent to the borders of neighboring countries, and en route, many were killed, abused, and had their possessions and identification papers stolen. Furthermore, several massacres are alleged to have been committed in different places. Oh, my God. So according to the indictment, during this period, Milosevic exercised effective control or substantial influence over the participants of the joint criminal enterprise and, either alone or acting in concert with others, effectively controlled or substantially influenced the actions of these groups. He was indicted for actions against Bosnia and Herzegovina, Croatia, and Kosovo. And um, all of the transcripts and indictments and Mm -hmm. um, everything for this is online at the ICTY.org's website. So you can... Look at all that for yourself. Archives. Yes. In 1999, um, reporter Peter Moss wrote the article, Milosevic, the perfect dictator for the New York Times. He wrote that Milosevic was not, quote, in the Pol Pot mold of dictator. That Cambodian despot pursued a hyper-Maoist ideology of re-engineering his nation, and to this end, his Khmer Rouge soldiers murdered more than a million people, mostly educated city dwellers. He was a dictator possessed of an insane vision that eventually roused sufficient outrage to stop him. There is also the Saddam Hussein species of dictator whose hold on power is maintained by little more than fierce brutality. Mr. Hussein is infamous for, among other things, convening a meeting of his Ba'ath party shortly after seizing power and, one by one, accusing officials of disloyalty. They were let out of the hall and never seen again. But a dictatorship based on terror alone is brittle. Mr. Milosevic does not execute rivals or would-be rivals. For example, take a look at the lucky fellow who was fired last week from his job as a minister in Mr. Milosevic's government. In most dictatorships, the fate of an insufficiently loyal minister can be quite ghastly. Weeks of torture, decades in jail, a bullet in the head. These are the ways most despots deal with people who step out of line or are suspected of stepping out of line. The brand name dictators of our century did not bother with pink slips. Oh my God. (laughs) So... Like, like, journalists knew what was happening. Yeah. 
they're like just because he's smiling for the camera and like you know there he is in ohio america's pocket signing peace accords yeah um and you know just because someone hasn't said that he's you know as bad as saddam hussein yeah it's like this isn't a spectrum <laughs> like yeah there's not a spectrum of dictators where it's like oh well at least he's not as bad as you know hitler or pol pot i mean that guy was bad like these people are bad yeah. like whole cloth terrible bad yeah so peter moss was saying like look yeah you thought these guys were bad mm-hmm. you don't think this guy is as bad as them but guess what guess what he's doing kind of the same stuff yeah so even like he was being indicted, he was still like running for re-election. Oh, my God. Okay. So he lost the presidential election in September 2000. But Milosevic refused to accept defeat until mass protests forced him to resign the following Good. month mm-hmm. in October 2000. He was charged with corruption and abuse of power and finally surrendered to Serbian authorities on April 1st, 2001 after a 26-hour standoff. Oh that June, he was extradited to the Netherlands and indicted by the UN War Crimes Tribunal. The ICTY would eventually indict 161 individuals of crimes committed during the conflict in the former Yugoslavia brought before the tribunal in 2002 on charges of genocide crimes against humanity and war crimes Milosevic served as his own defense lawyer mm, yeah mm-hmm. that sounds right what could go wrong there mm-hmm. but apparently he was very sick for the next couple of years mm-hmm. and on March 11th 2006 Milosevic was found dead in his jail cell in the Hague purportedly of a heart attack before his trial could be completed and the proceedings against Slobodan Milosevic were formally terminated three days later wow In his obituary, the UK's Guardian newspaper called him, quote, a ruthless manipulator of Serbian nationalism who became the most dangerous man in Europe. So for anyone who wasn't familiar with Milosevic, his career was summed up as such. Quote, from 1991 to 1999, he presided over mayhem and mass murder in southeastern Europe. In a long list of villains, he was the central figure. To the civilian victims of Srebrenica and Vukovar, Sarajevo and Dubrovnik, Pristina and Branja Luka, he was the chilling embodiment of the evil men can do. End quote. Oh, my God. Slobodan Milosevic, the deposed Serb leader, was buried in the backyard of his old house late in the afternoon with darkness approaching and not a single member of his family in sight. The Orthodox Church, once a cornerstone of his power, refused to preside over a religious ceremony for a man who died in his jail cell in The Hague while on trial for war crimes. Yeah. No priest even showed his face. No. Um, kind of speaking of ranking your dictators in, in 2010 life magazine, put him on their list of the world's worst dictators. Um, there was about 27 people on this list. That's too many people. Yeah. This list of course included Adolf Hitler, Mm. Joseph Stalin, Francisco Franco, Pol Pot, and a lot of other terrible humans who we haven't talked about this month, including Mao Zedong, Nikolai Ceausescu, Augusto Pinochet, Benito Mussolini, Robert Mugabe, Papa Doc Duvalier, and also Saddam Hussein. Oh my God. So, in summary, the conflict in former Yugoslavia from 91 to 99 shocked international public opinion because of the abuses revealed by the press, which were committed by all parties. This was considered to be several separate conflicts, which were ethnic in nature. So, that we had the war in Slovenia in 1991, the war in Croatia from 91 to 95, the war in Bosnia and Herzegovina from 92 to 95, and the war in Kosovo from 98 to 99, which also involved the NATO bombing of Yugoslavia in 1999. The conflicts accompanied the breakup of Yugoslavia when the constituent republics declared their independence. The wars mostly ended after peace accords were signed in 95 and new republics were given full international recognition of their statehood. Oh and that's the story of Slobodan. Of Slobo. 
Slobo Milosevic. Yiko Bikos. What an end. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> in that vein, yeah. uh, our quiz tonight is called New Year, New Yugoslavia. A quiz on New Year's traditions and countries that changed names in the 20th century. Question one. This should be easy if you paid attention in Girl Scouts. Name either of the two countries that are first locations in the world to welcome the new year based on their time zone, UTC plus 14. Question two. Ceylon, an island country in South Asia, was granted independence from the British Commonwealth of Nations in 1972 and became a republic with what name? Question three. Jewish New Year is a two-day celebration that begins on the first day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. During this holiday, traditions include attending synagogue, personal reflection, sounding the shofar, and eating symbolic foods such as apples dipped in honey. What is the name of this Jewish high holiday? Question four. Upper Volta, a landlocked West African country, attained full independence from France in 1960 and, following a military coup d'etat, was renamed to what in 1984? Question 5. Chinese New Year, or the Lunar New Year, isn't held on January 1st, but instead begins with the new moon appearing between January 21st and February 20th. Traditionally, what color envelope containing a monetary gift is given to friends and family during this multi-day celebration? Question six, not to be confused with present-day Honduras, British Honduras was a crown colony on the east coast of Central America and the last continental possession of the United Kingdom in the Americas. In 1973, British Honduras was formally renamed in anticipation of independence, which it received in 1981, as what Central American country? Question seven. The celebration of the New Year in Scotland is a big deal, reaching back to the winter solstice among the Norse. Traditions include first footing, swinging fireballs, holding all-night parties, eating cakes, and of course, singing Auld Lang Syne. It can get kind of wild with people living high and going whole, well, getting very into it. What's the name of this Scottish custom? Question eight. The Trucial States were the name given by the British government to a group of tribal confederations on the Arabian Peninsula, which allied themselves with the UK through a series of treaties. When the treaties were revoked in 1971, the sheikdoms formed the basis for what country? Question 9. A symbol of birth and regrowth in the new year, what vegetable is traditionally hung on the front door of homes in Greece for New Year's Day? No word if it's extra lucky in ring or bloom form. And finally, question 10. After decades under the rule of totalitarian dictator Mobutu Sese Seko, in 1997, Zaire was renamed to what country, now the largest in sub-Saharan Africa? I'll give you about a minute to think, and I'll be back with your answers. <laughs>
I think it's safe to say that I will not be getting a golden 10 on this one. Oh, you never know. My geography is... I will Not also, great. if you need it, I will give you the capital of the, of the country as a hint. Okay. But only if I ask for it. Only if you ask for it. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. I'm ready. All right. Uh, question one. This should be easy if you paid attention in Girl Scouts. Name either of the two countries that are the first locations in the world to welcome the new year based on their time zone, UTC plus 14. Uh, I was not in Girl Scouts. Uh, there's too much TV I wanted to watch. <laughs> So, Girl Scouts. Uh, I'm going to say Australia. Nope. 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 Oceania, which is a region and not a country. (laughs) Uh, Singapore. Nope. That's farther west. Um, I don't know. The earth is round, Jewel. I don't Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the two countries that are the first locations in the world to welcome the new year are Samoa. Oh, of course. American Samoa. Sorry. No, just Samoa. Just the regular ass Samoa. Uh-huh. Sorry. And Kiribati, the Kiribati. Christmas islands. Oh, okay. S- Samoa is a Girl Scout cookie. Oh, I thought this was something that you learn in Girl Scouts. I don't know. I wasn't in Girl Scouts. I didn't know. <laughs> All right, that's fine. So Samoa and Kiribati are first. And then next up are Tonga and New Zealand. That's UTC plus 13. Then Australia, Japan, and South Korea, which are UTC plus 12. The last is Baker Island, which is UTC minus 12 hours. Huh. That's the last technical location in the world to see the new year. year. Where Mm -hmm. is Baker Island? way the hell in the pacific ocean oh okay yeah like probably like right over the line yeah. from from samoa <laughs> that's true that's and the true. christmas <laughs> islands yeah learn more about time zones in uh episode 19 it's about time it's very good we really had a lot of fun with that we did <laughs> all right question two ceylon an island country in south asia was granted independence from the british commonwealth of nations in 1972 and became a republic with what name and if you need the capital i can give it to you is it Sri Lanka? It is Sri Lanka. Yes. Yes. The capital is Sri Jayawardenepura Kot. Also, you can just call it Kot. Oh, okay. Which I, is nice. I probably would not have gotten any closer a lot, if I didn't know it. <laughs> it's a lot of letters. Yeah. All right. Question three. Jewish New Year is a two-day celebration that begins on the first day of the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. During this holiday, traditions include attending synagogue, personal reflection, sounding the shofar, and eating symbolic foods such as apples dipped in honey. What is the name of this Jewish high holiday? Is it Rosh Hashanah? This is Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. Rosh is the Hebrew word for head. Ha is the definite article the. And Shana means year. So Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, referring to the Jewish day of the new year. Oh, cool. The shofar that gets blowed is a cleaned out ram's horn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Jewish high holidays, strictly speaking, are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which takes place 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, and it is the Day of Atonement. Question four. Upper Volta, a landlocked West African country, attained full independence from France in 1960, and following a military coup d'etat, was renamed to what in 1984? Okay, this is where I'm not great on African countries. I think I'm going to need the capital on that one. The capital is Ugudugu. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, it's not Liberia, because Liberia nope. is coastal. I do know mm-hmm. that. This is landlocked. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes. Uh, Sudan? 
Um, that is more east. Okay. That's more northeast. Okay. Of this, Africa. Uh, so this is in this is the west western Africa. Okay. Oof. Is it in the is it in the horn? No, that's no. the super east part. That's the super of east. Africa. Yep, that's the super mm-hmm. east part. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in like the nose, like the bubble. You know what I mean? Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Why don't you just tell me before I get in more trouble with my geography people? Pick, pick a country. <laughs> um, Go ahead. <laughs> I did. I picked Sudan, oh, but okay. you said no. No, it's not Sudan. It's uh, Burkina Faso. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wasn't going to get there. Yeah. So Upper formerly Upper Volta. Upper Volta. Mm-hmm. Volta is also the name of, uh, well, uh, is the name of a um, uh, Bjork album. So oh. there you go. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I know that. Put that together. I am smart. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Question five. Chinese New Year or the Lunar New Year isn't held on January 1st, but instead begins with the new moon appearing between January 21st and February 20th. Traditionally, what color envelope containing a monetary gift is given to friends and family during this multi-day celebration? Oh, that's red. It is red. The red color of the envelope symbolizes good luck and is a symbol to ward off evil spirits. Red envelopes are usually given out to unmarried members of the next generation, regardless of their age and income. Uh The amount of money contained in the envelope usually ends with an even digit in accordance with Chinese beliefs. Odd-numbered money gifts are traditionally associated with funerals. Oh, wow. It's customary for the bills to be brand new printed money, too. Oh, okay. Everything regarding the New Year has to be new in order to have good luck and fortune. There's also a widespread tradition that money should not be given in fours, or the number four should not appear in the amount, Yeah, because such bad as luck. 40, 400, and 444. Do you know why? Because it's bad luck. Do you know why? Um, no, I don't know why. The pronunciation of the word four... Uh-huh. is a homophone for the word death. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I How wouldn't want that? that. I wouldn't want that either. Yeah. I got you a, I got. I got you death dollars. Yeah, but also don't give them odd-numbered money either no. because that means it's a funeral. So, so you, you got to... You got to really think about it. You can't just toss you in can a give couple them of 20s. 20 or you can give them 60. Yeah, There's but not Nothing 40. in between. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Question six. Not to be confused with present-day Honduras. British Honduras was a crown colony on the east coast of Central America and the last continental possession of the United Kingdom in the Americas. In 1973, British Honduras was formally renamed in anticipation of independence, which it received in 1981, as what Central American country? Um, it's not Costa Rica, is it? Nope. No, damn. Um, I'm trying to capital? Think- Yes, please. Belmopan. Oh, man. Belmopan. <laughs> That's a Cuisinart uh, appliance. The Belmopan. Come on. He makes the greatest crepes. Oh, delicious crepes. And you can cook an egg in two and a half seconds. Uh, Belmopan. I don't know. What is it? Belize. Belize. Ow. Oh! Starts with a B. I was also thinking Guyana, but Guyana is actually in South America. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, how Belize got its name, it's been proposed that the recorded term balas for river was actually the Mayan word belix or beliz, meaning muddy watered. Or possibly the name comes from the Mayan phrase belitza, meaning the road to itza, which was oh. an important place huh. to the Mayans. How about that? 
All right, question seven. The celebration of the New Year in Scotland is a big deal, reaching back to the winter solstice among the Norse. Traditions include first footing, swinging fireballs, holding all-night parties, eating cakes, and of course, singing Auld Lang Syne. It can get kind of wild with people living high and going whole, well, getting very into it. What's the name of this Scottish custom? Is it wild high hog? No. I'm trying to go for your hog hog night. Hog, pig, pig, <laughs> pig, pig, hog night. <laughs> um, uh, uh, does it have hog in it? Okay, hog, hog, um, hog knocked. I don't know. That's German. Mm, what is it? Just tell me what it is. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't get it, if you didn't get it after knowing know hog, <laughs> um, it's hogmanay. Oh, I've never heard of this. Okay, so Hogmanay is like this big, big Scottish New Year celebration. That sounds fun. Um, after midnight, family and friends visit each other's homes. And first footing is when the first foot to cross the threshold after midnight will predict the next year's fortune. Though tradition varies, those deemed especially fortunate as first as first footers, <laughs> as first footers are new brides, new mothers, or tall, dark-haired men. Wow, those are the three types of people you want to cross your door. As the and, part of the, and that's the what's going to make start you. of the new year. Yeah. Um, wow. In Aberdeenshire, they stuff flammable things into two foot diameter balls of chicken wire, light them on fire and swing them around as they walk up the high street. Oh, no. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Edinburgh Hogmanay celebrations are among the largest in the world and celebrations in Edinburgh in 96, 97 were recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's largest New Year's party with about 400,000 people in attendance. Oh, my God. We got to go back. It's it's yeah, it's that sounds it's supposed fun. to be like a crazy, <laughs> yeah. crazy night. But yeah, you also get to like eat a lot of cake and yeah, that's, stay out all night and watch out for the people for the people who've been drinking whiskey for two days. Yeah. And swinging swinging fireballs, fireballs around hot metal cages full of fire. Yeah. Oh, man, that sounds like a trip. Hogmanay, that sounds awesome. everybody. Hogmanay. All right. Question eight. The Trucial States were the name given by the British government to a group of tribal confederations on the Arabian Peninsula, which allied themselves with the UK through a series of treaties. When the treaties were revoked in 1971, the sheikdoms formed the basis for what country? Um, is it Abu Dhabi? Uh, that no, is the city. capital. That's the capital of this? Uh-huh. Um, yes. Don't worry. I'll get there. Here I go. Oh, man, I'm going. Here I go. Flying over. Um, uh, Abu Dhabi's the capital uh, of what country? It's, it's not the UAE, is yes. it? Yes. Oh, it is the UAE. Okay, great. Yes. United Arab Emirates. Great. It's called that because it was like seven different sheikdoms that decided to join together oh, and okay. be under one, be under one name. Great. Mm-hmm. Love it. Question nine, a symbol of birth and regrowth in the new year. What vegetable is traditionally hung on the front door of homes in Greece for New Year's Day? No word if it's extra lucky in ring or bloom form. Ring or bloom form. All right. You got potatoes. You got olives. You've got fennel. Fennel ring. No. Hmm. What is a Greek vegetable? Fenugreek. Nope. That's a lie. Uh, Also, that's more of a herb. Um... Onions? Is it onions? No. Is it 
A potato's a starch. It's not a vegetable. Um, what's a ring? Garlic? No. Ring or... Did you say bloom? Bloom. bloom. Squash? No, that's not a vegetable. Or is it a vegetable? Who cares? It's a gourd. <laughs> I'm going to go fix myself a coffee while Lauren is... While, I'm, while, while, I'm while she's through. virtually going through the produce aisle. <laughs> while I'm going through every vegetable I've ever heard of. Asparagus. Okay, I'm going to go Greek. I'm going to go Greek. I'm, yeah, I'm going to go garlic. Is it garlic? It's not garlic. That's not a vegetable. It is onion. It is onion? Come on! What? You weren't like onion. You weren't like onion. You were like onion. No, it's not onion. <laughs> you got to stop me. You got to say, yes, it's onion. <laughs> Don't let it keep going. It makes me sound stupid. <laughs> it is an onion. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to count that as I got that. Okay. Onions. <laughs> <laughs> onions were chosen for New Year's because they're a symbol of good health, fertility, and longevity. According to lifehack.org, parents also wake their children up by tapping them on the head with an onion. <laughs> why the greek are so strange <laughs> just gets cocked in the head with an onion every morning oh a blooming onion <laughs> i just got it and an onion ring my two favorite forms of onion shame on me oh and finally question 10 after decades under the rule of totalitarian dictator mobutu Sese seko in 1997, Zaire was renamed to what country? Now the largest in sub-Saharan Africa. Again with the Africa. Zaire, sub-Saharan. So below the Saharan. Um, it's not the Democratic Republic of Congo. Yes, it is. It is? <laughs> <laughs> See, you stopped me. <laughs> We'd be here all night. The, the capital is... Uh, is Kinshasa, oh, the okay. capital of the Democratic mm. Republic of the Congo. Um, so while I was also doing research on this, I had some other favorite New Year's traditions that I read about. Oh, please. So I'm just going to tell you some of those too. Great. Um, in Denmark, it's thought that throwing dishes on someone's doorstep on January 1st assures they will have many friends in the years ahead. Oh my God. And also a lot of like sharp. A lot to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. But also, wouldn't that be fun? Yes. Just walking around your friends' houses and just hurling plates at people's doorsteps. In Estonia, some people believe that they should eat seven, nine, or 12 meals on New Year's Eve. (laughs) With each meal consumed, it is believed that the person gains the strength of that many men the following year. What? Sorry, guys. I'm on meal number eight right now. I have to get to nine. Yeah. I want to have the the strength of nine nine men. men. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. In 2020. That's amazing. In Ecuador, people burn effigies of their enemies at midnight on New Year's. I'm doing that. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Thousands of life-size dummies representing misfortunes from the past year are burned in the streets. Ugh, we're doing that. Yep. In Belarus, single women like to play games on New Year's Eve to predict who will marry in the new year. In one game, a pile of corn is set before each woman, and then a rooster is let loose in the room. Whichever pile of corn the rooster feasts on first determines who will get married oh, first. Oh, jeez. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> in Mexico and Spain, people eat 12 grapes at midnight, one for each chime of the bells, mm-hmm. um, said to dis- to secure them a happy year to come. In South Africa, Johannesburg residents throw old appliances out the window into the streets. <laughs> There's a lot of mess making in these countries. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And uh, in Italy, wearing red underwear on New Year's Eve is thought to bring love, prosperity, and good luck. I in Argentina, they want you to wear pink underwear for the same reason. And in Bolivia, it should be yellow. Oh. 
So kind of right. depends on where you are <laughs> yeah. as, to, as to what killer underpants you should be wearing. I have heard of the red underpants thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, Italy is like, yeah. <laughs> you, you wear the red underpants so you find you a man. <laughs> You've been in my house too long. Wear the red underpants. Exactly. That is a direct quote from every Italian mama. Nonna. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's our show for... That's our show for 2019, <laughs> folks. Thank you uh, so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to us throughout 2019. Thanks for sticking with us with Di- through Dictator December. It has been a real mm, challenge. Eye-opening. Eye-opening challenge. Eye-opening experience. Yes, I would agree. And don't worry, I'm not in charge of picking any more theme months. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you came up with Mythology May, and that was great. So... In the new year, we've got a lot of um, fun surprises coming mm-hmm. up for you. We're very excited about it. And um, and so s- stay tuned, everybody. Uh, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend in the new year. You know what? That should be your new year's resolution. Tell a friend, at least one friend, about Misinformation, a trivia podcast with Lauren and Julia. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. I'm going to do it. Low key. No, almost no effort. Yeah, no effort. Like, oh, hey, you're talking about podcasts at a a New Year's party? You say, oh, I really like, or I listen to. You don't even have to say I really really like. You really have to like us. Yeah, you don't have to, like, you know, you don't have to modify that with an adjective. Just be like, here's one. This is a podcast. You could get some information from there or not. (laughs) See, we go for base level. That's it. We gave you the script. Exactly. Well, I hope you all have a happy and healthy uh, new year and an excellent 2020. And uh, we will see you on the other side, friends. Bye. Bye.